What up, peeps? Welcome into Unscripted and Unprepared, brought to you by Real Screen Magazine. I'm Jimmy Fox, and this episode is with Heather Olander. Heather is one of the all-time great hangs uh, in our business. It was a fantastic sit-down. She oversees unscripted development for both USA and Sci-Fi Networks. We recorded this months ago at Real Screen West. Uh, so there's some Easter eggs in this interview. Uh, some things aren't quite current. Some headlines uh, leading into this interview. Uh, Heather tells a story of when she was in her early agency days as an assistant. Uh, and after we recorded the interview, Heather was like, you know, can you just remove the name of that individual? Uh, so uh, she is talking about not Matt Solo, but another agent that she worked for in the talent department. And we removed his name, uh, in case you're wondering and get a little confused when you listen to her stories. Uh, she went on to talk about her time at MTV. It seemed like there was quite an alumni group of folks that she worked with while at MTV. I think if you work in our business, you will recognize many of the names that she references. She talked about Chris Lee Knows Best and when that sizzle tape was brought into her and how she moved quickly uh, to get that order to series in a bidding war situation. So she really gives some great insight into the green light process behind the scenes at the networks. And then we ended our show with a little game we like to call either or. But before we get into the uh, interview with Heather, I wanted to address uh, a tweet that I got this past week. Uh, and by the way, uh, really love all the emails and tweets that you guys have sent my way since we launched the show. I believe we've done six episodes and really appreciate all the emails and tweets. Love it when you guys hit me up. And please hit me up on Twitter. I am Jimmy Fox on Twitter. Tell me any guests that you want me to bring on maybe in the future. Uh, any subjects that you think I should hit. Uh, and if you listen to the show and you enjoy it, go on iTunes. I've been told if you go on iTunes and you give us a, a review or a rating of any sort... That helps the visibility uh, of the show for uh, Real Screen and our guests. Um, but I want to address uh, a tweet and uh, pivot a little bit from my normal preamble. Um, forgive me uh, if this will come off a little soapboxy uh, in any way. But uh, I got a tweet from Linda after the last show. Uh, Linda tweeted and said, uh, Jimmy, I love your podcast but I do hope to see a POC interviewed someday. Now, for those of you who do not know, uh, POC stands for person of color. And this tweet struck a chord with me because Linda tapped into something that has kind of been festering in my own mind for quite some time, uh, specifically when it comes to diverse uh, faces and voices involved. Uh, both on camera and behind the scenes in the unscripted business. I think what Linda addresses here uh, is emblematic of the nature of the unscripted business as a whole. Uh, so just listening to the first five episodes of my podcast, uh, and yes, Vinny Malhotra, who was our last guest, is a person of color. Both of his parents are Indian. But yes, Linda taps into something here, that she wants to see more people of color in my podcast. And I would say back to Linda, which I did on Twitter. Um, this is a major issue I have wanted to address with network groups and studios uh, for quite some time. And I think it's a discussion that us professionals in the unscripted business need to have when it comes to the subject of diversity 
both on camera and behind the scenes in our business. Um, I would start with this. In the scripted business, there are departments, initiatives, uh, writer workshops instilled and in place to promote diversity, to promote diverse writer rooms, to make sure that enough diverse directors are getting booked on these series, to make sure that diverse casts are being placed into these shows. In the scripted business, they have programs and initiatives, and they have third-party organizations that hold them accountable. The unscripted business, for whatever reason, the subject of diversity is not met with the same level of scrutiny. And I've often wondered why the unscripted business gets a pass. Feature films, scripted TV, an immense amount of scrutiny, rightfully so, to reflect a diverse society that we live in. Yet when it comes to unscripted, let's talk about in front of the camera. You have entire networks, entire networks, with nobody of color. Not one. And everybody seems to be okay with that. Certain networks that program for a certain section of the country, a specific demographic, don't have anybody of color on their networks. And this has been going on for years. And they get a pass because they cater to a specific audience in a specific part of the country. Scripted networks can't get away with that excuse, but it seems to be okay for unscripted networks. Let's talk about behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, I want you to play a quick game. For all of my professional peers that work day in and day out in the unscripted business, I want you to play a quick game. I want you to quickly name for me not counting BET, I want you to name for me a person of color that oversees a department in the unscripted business. Think about it. At all the cable networks or the broadcast networks that you pitch unscripted shows to, name for me a person of color that runs any of those departments. Now there's Vinny who was on this podcast, Vinny Malhotra, again, who is Indian. And maybe Nina Diaz at VH1. But isn't that kind of staggering? Isn't that kind of crazy? And, and look, maybe this is something that networks are constantly talking about. Maybe this is something that people are discussing over drinks all the time. But I haven't been exposed to those conversations. And let's talk about showrunners. How is our diversity represented among our showrunners in the business? Let's talk about showrunners. Do we all feel comfortable with the amount of diverse showrunners in our business? Are we happy with the status quo? Because to me, it seems like there's a lack. To me, it seems like there's not enough showrunners of diverse backgrounds. And I'm not pointing the finger at, at any one network. Uh, I'm not pointing the finger really at, at any one company. I'm pointing the finger at our sector of the business as a whole. And I'm just asking ourselves to have these conversations. I'm asking ourselves to hold ourselves accountable. Because 
unlike the feature business and the scripted business who are held accountable by outside groups, the unscripted business gets a pass. And I think we've gotten a pass for far too long. And if people aren't going to come at us from the outside, we need to change things from within. That's what I'm proposing. So where do we start? Well, it's like I told Linda on Twitter in response to her message. I think somebody, somewhere, and I think it needs to come from a network group. I think it needs to come from people of real power and decision-making, people that can influence change. I think there needs to be a documentarian or call it an unscripted fellowship for young, diverse storytellers. So how would you do this? Well, let's just say one network group, I don't know, Viacom maybe or MTV Networks. I'll start there because I think MTV Networks and the folks at Viacom are probably the best at promoting diversity in the world of unscripted between MTV, MTV2, VH1, and BET, and even some of the shows that Spike is doing nowadays. I think they're the best. Of all the network groups and cable, they are the best, right? So let's just say MTV Networks and Viacom, I'm just throwing this out as a scenario, they start a young, diverse workshop or fellowship for unscripted storytellers. You could have seniors in college, or you could have recent graduates take a program for six months where they could come into the office once a week and meet with professionals, professional showrunners, network executives, what have you, and learn about the business. And it doesn't stop there. They would then go to set individually, and they would shadow showrunners on the set of these shows to learn the ins and the outs of making these programs from pre-production all the way to post. Because if you think about it, it's like a semester program. And usually these reality shows from prep to post are about a six-month program, are they not? So you have these people taking classes where they can you know, meet and ask questions. You have them go to set where they can shadow professionals. And then the culmination of this program is you give each of these individuals $20,000 to shoot a sizzle, applying everything they've learned in film school and in this specific program. They cut a sizzle on any topic anything that they're passionate about. And maybe they'll sell it. Maybe they'll get lucky and get a development deal. But if not, that's not the hope. What is the hope of this program? The hope of this program is that after exposure to these people, after exposure to this network group that, that put on this program, that maybe they can get staffed on one of these shows. Maybe they can become an AP immediately on set after having gone through this program. Maybe after being exposed to these people at the networks, they could get on a desk and they can become an assistant and get their first assistant job. And from there, we're nurturing young, diverse voices. And if this program goes on for four, six, ten years, and you enroll a dozen people every year, well, I'm telling you, quite frankly, you're going to quadruple the number of diverse showrunners and diverse network executives in the unscripted business within eight to 10 years. And look, if there's a program already in place that does this, then I apologize. I apologize. I'm sorry to have gotten on my soapbox. But if a program like this doesn't exist, in my opinion, this seems like a good place to start. 
And I would ask the people that are actually in power, the people that are actually important to our business, not just not me, not not me, not this guy sitting in his office with a microphone talking to himself. Uh, I think this influence has to come from the network groups that are the buyers that have all the control and that are in a position to, like I said before, nurture young voices behind the scenes. But I think what we can do in the short term is instill a program like this that wouldn't cost much at all. And then you make it a mentorship program, really. It shouldn't cost you anything. And it's a program that, quite frankly, if only once a week, could be ran by existing employees. You don't need to hire anybody new to do it. Okay. I've probably said too much, uh, but I had to get these feelings off my chest. Call it the post-Trump influence but I had to speak up. Thank you, Linda, for the tweet. Thank you. Uh, You're right. Uh, And in terms of this podcast, we are going to be doing our next round of interviews uh, in the new year. I hope to get a few of them in the can at the upcoming Real Screen in D.C. Speaking of which, when I spoke with the folks at Real Screen and told them what I was going to be discussing on this podcast opening, uh, they quickly got back to me and said, you know, Jimmy, At the next DC conference, we're going to have a panel on the subject of diversity and unscripted. So once again, the folks at Real Screen, one step ahead of me, uh, it's going to be called Diversity Works, uh, Representing and Rating. Uh, So on this panel, from what I'm told, uh, you're going to have a session where you can hear from the network and production teams behind three breakout series featuring diverse casts and stories. So the conversation of diversity in front of the camera will be on display in this panel at the upcoming Real Screen event. So you should check that out. And special announcement, we are going to be recording our first live podcast at the upcoming Real Screen Conference in D.C., pretty exciting. So we should be announcing soon who that guest is going to be, but I want to record a live show. I I told the folks at real screen, I thought that could be fun. So not only have it be a panel event that people can attend, but have it actually become an episode of the podcast. So looking forward to that. So if you're going to be coming to the real screen conference in DC, come to the live recording. Uh, and I really look forward to announcing who our guest is going to be. All right. On with the show. Here's my sit down with Heather Olander. I hope you enjoy it. So isn't this great? They gave us a whole conference room just for ourselves. <laughs> all by ourselves? Yes, we're all by ourselves. <laughs> and these microphones are so tall. I know. I feel like it's the scene in Caddyshack where Judge Smales is trying to have a serious conversation with Danny, but the potted plant on the desk is right. <laughs> I can yeah, exactly. barely see over my mic right now to see you. You're like, oh, oh okay, there you are. All right. <laughs> Heather Olander. Hello. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited. This is, I, this is my very first podcast. First time ever. First time ever. So I'm kind of... You're initiating me. Yeah, I yes. hope I don't suck. I hope Thank I don't you. suck. I'll Thank try not much. to suck. I want to start with your title. Okay. SVP, comma, Alternative Series Development and Production, comma, <laughs> Entertainment Networks, comma, NBC Universal Cable Entertainment. 
That's news to me. I did not okay. know I had such a long title. I'm sure, by the way, I'm sure press, our press handles a lot of that. So they also want to just cover every base. And clearly they did. So it, maybe it that's how that covers every. It covers yeah. every network in the cable yeah. portfolio. <laughs> true, true, true. It makes no, it sound way more important than my actual job is. Nowhere in there does it say USA or sci-fi. Yes, that is true. So tell me how this works. So um, now that the combination of USA and sci-fi has happened under, well, Chris McCumber is the president of both networks and Bill McGoldrick runs programming for both networks. It's now known as the entertainment group, both of them. And because the executives that work for, well, they work for both, all executives at sci-fi that once upon a time were at separately sci-fi and USA are now over both. So it's one unit. I would think with the NBCU portfolio, where does Oxygen, Esquire, and E fit in? Is that a different group? Yes, that's the Lifestyle group. Oh, that's the Lifestyle? Okay, yes. got it. Yes, and they're all got under it. Frances Berwick or Berwick. I don't know how to say her name properly. Do you know? How? I'm pretty sure it's Berwick. Berwick, okay. How do you not know her? how to say her name? I life? thought it was Berwick, but then I was in a meeting oh, really? with some senior executives, and they said Berwick. Okay, then I, I thought, definitely do not know how to say so that. I'm pre- but I'm pretty sure it's Berwick. If you're listening, I uh, Berwick. <laughs> yes. she writes, she's writing both of our checks right now right. in some ways because I've got – I've got the arrangement with her, so I should right. probably know her last name. Right, right, right. Everyone's very excited about that, by the way. The arrangement? Yes, everyone. Oh, yeah. Did like, you see the trailer? Yeah, I did. I did. It looked – it was at our upfront. It looked beautiful. I've heard for all the scripted executives how cool it is, so we're all excited. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I, Congratulations. Uh, I wasn't important enough to be in New York. I'm not overseeing alternative for two cable networks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, although scripted these days is so exciting. I'm more jealous of you. <laughs> all right, so I did a little research on you. I want to go back. Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, San Diego, in Bellevue, Washington, and then San Diego. When did you move to San Diego? How old were you? Uh, I was in fifth grade, so how okay. old is that? I don't know, like 11? 11, that seems good, Ish. Right? Yeah. So Bellevue, Washington? Yes. Is that where the Bellevue, what is that, the hospital is or something? No, Bellevue, the psychiatric hospital, is in New York. Okay. Bellevue By the way, is... can you tell I'm totally from California? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't left my entire life. <laughs> like, yes. maybe with the way crazy people go. Um, Bellevue is in Washington State, um, and it's actually a place now that a lot of tech people go, are, live because when I was young, Microsoft had just come to town. Oh, sure. So, like, we had a neighbor whose mom worked, like, as a receptionist at Microsoft and okay. now is worth, like, many millions of dollars, sort of. That's an early grounds, ground floor of, of, of a huge company, obviously. And what led the family to move to California? Was it your dad's job? Yeah. Yes, work. What did yes. dad and mom do? Uh, mother didn't work, and my dad is works in finance. Got it. And did you have any siblings? I do. I have a brother and two sisters. Where are you in the order? I'm the oldest. You are the oldest? I'm the oldest. Are you yes. a straight oldest child? Uh, 100%. Everything about, like, if you read those books of, like, birth order, I am, like, a, 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 an older, o- the oldest. I have all the attributes of an oldest child. And is the youngest the favorite? Um... I honestly didn't think like my mom did a good job with four of like not you never thought that she had a favorite at all like it was she was because she was in the middle of seven and I think she made an effort to make us always feel you know equal down to like counting the presents at Christmas made sure everyone had the equal number but now I think she's most close probably to my youngest sister who's got like four kids and is a total mom and they hit it off on on those fronts as as the youngest of three I I can say that usually the third or the youngest is either the favorite or the f up <laughs> in the group i yeah i don't wonder why that is again maybe it's like the attributes of the youngest has well, I, I, I don't just know noticed that as a youngest i feel like you're sort of like just the observer right. and you're the documentarian kind of of 
the house because you look up to your older siblings, you watch their moves, you chronicle when they got in trouble, why they got in trouble, learning from that. And I feel like in a way you almost use all of that information to your benefit and how you work your parents, which can then lead to you either being the sneakiest of the three Mm -hmm. or the favorite of the three Mm. because you know how to work the system in the house. Good point. Good point. My sister was, uh, let's just say she had a lot more fun than I did in (laughs) high school. And by that time, my mom was very tired of disciplining. So it's like she got away with more. So what were you you like in high school then? Because I I just found out looking last night, you went to Cornell. I did. So you're like sneaky intellectual Ivy Leaguer. I did. Yes. I was one of those, like my brother called me a nerd and I was a good student got good grades didn't certainly didn't have enough fun played tennis was one of those like involved with everything I was a peer counselor which seems crazy like the idea of me being a peer is ridiculous like is I should it? be counseling no one um but I was because it, it was that's what so yeah that's who I was Wait, I was involved on. in you everything went to an Ivy League school yeah. how are you not in a position to counsel others but it was like you know kids who like didn't know how to fit in and required a lot more sympathy than truthfully I probably had I'm a pretty tough person right. so like you know the shy whatever like I'm like I didn't really have time for them, but I convinced the head of the peer counseling group that I should be part of it because it looked good on a college application. Were you on student council? I was, yes. Yes, I was. What were you? I think it was a vice president. Uh, I was, I was, truly, I was like it's tennis, truly. peer counseling, um, student council, future, future business leaders of America. And, like it, wasn't, and it wasn't about passion or experiencing those positions. It was just about checking boxes off for college applications. 100%, yes. Was that instilled, the, the work ethic and the drive, was that instilled by your parents or is that just your nature? I think it's my nature. I remember my mom always, I mean, I had strict parents, really strict. And I was the first kid. So of course they wanted to do the best they could of sure. you know, raising me. I think more strict with me than my youngest sister. But um, I remember my mom always saying, you know, you need to have more fun. Go play. Don't, you know, she, she urged me more towards having more of a social life than, you know, studying. She even encouraged me to stay on this coast to go to college because my friend, many of them growing up in San Diego went to UCLA or schools around Southern California. Why Cornell? Um, I wanted to go east, um, and I thought also that I wanted to work also in finance. I was an economics major. Um, I always loved – it's an odd thing because I always actually loved pop culture and television. I, I watched a ton of it. I, I consumed it um, sort of in a very voracious way. But for a kid like me who was so driven, you kind of – you're like, well, what, what is TV? It seems kind of irresponsible. Because right. I think if you don't live in L.A., you're sort of like, well, what's a producer do? And how do you get into d- producing and directing and writing? Um, so being in business felt like the most kind of uh, uh, responsible choice. So that's what I pursued always in the back of my head, thinking, oh, man, it would be so cool if I could work on this sort of creative end and work in TV. And, you know, but it didn't seem possible. So you always enjoyed television, but growing up in San Diego, away from Hollywood, you never thought it was like really an option. Exactly. 100, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, yeah. And I, and I would just, it, it's funny cause even sort of, I knew, I don't know how, but even in high school, I knew what an agency was. I knew the huh. pieces of, I was very curious about it. I, again, I just didn't know how to get there. Um, so was it in college that a light bulb went off or did you complete four years of Cornell thinking I'm going to be a businesswoman or I'm going to go be working in finance? What, what was it? Um, I, I thought for sure until I'd say my senior year, um, everybody's, you know, looking at the internship and looking, was I going to go get an MBA? Really? It was the C the senior year. It's like, okay, get serious. Like, where are you going right. to go to work and where are you going to apply? And again, is MBA the next step? And I realized I didn't want to do that at all. Like the idea right. of, I really enjoyed economics, but the idea of a career 
just with numbers, with no creativity. And it just felt, I don't know, something, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like, this isn't what I want to do at all. So I graduated and I came back and went back to San Diego. And luckily a lot of my, including my best friend, a lot of friends lived in Los Angeles. And so I moved up here within, I don't know, two months of graduating. And I got a job at an ad agency okay. thinking it's still responsible. It's a real company and it's still business, but it's, it's, cre- it's, it's creative. creative. That's right. what I thought. Yeah. I thought, oh, I'll go do that. Um, so I'll have a, dip my toe a little bit in it, but still not completely. And a part of it's like you don't want to disappoint your parents. You know, they, they have these, at least in your own head, you think, oh, they have all these dreams for you and they spend all this money on college and I don't want to go take a dumb job in my own right. head. Right, you to spend four years at yes. Cornell and your dad works in finance. For you to then say, hey, guys, I'm just going to go to L.A. and try to land a TV job where Cornell really didn't do anything to prepare me for that. I could see how that may be a tough conversation with your parents. Yes. All right. So you come out to L.A., you land a job at an ad agency. Yeah. As an assistant? Um, I was a uh, was assistant account manager, some version of that. How uh, long did that It wasn't last? an assistant. When you go to an agency, they don't have like assistants per right. se. You're like a junior account right. executive, right. Um, which is what I did. It's a title that sounds more important than, than, it, than the pay scale. Correct. Oh, by far. <laughs> I was making probably less than I would have if I was an assistant. How long did you last there? Um, I lasted there a little over a year because lucky enough for me, I had a friend from high school who started working for a director and it was the director's assistant. He was a feature director. I don't remember his name. So then I was like, oh, that's how it started becoming clear that there was a clear path to working in TV and in media and entertainment. And so he got me the UTA job list. When I was working at an ad agency, and back then it was really meaningful. It was like, that's like the... That was the only list. was the only list. That was like the list. And it was like the holy grail. Like, oh my God, you can be assistant at ICM and WME or... That didn't exist at the time. It was ICM and... Uh, William Morris. Yeah, more options. Um, So it was. I was like, whoa! And so I got my hands on that, and I interviewed for a job at ICM and got it, and that was the beginning. Oh no way! I didn't know you came up at ICM. Yes, yes, yes. So what was the first gig? Was it mailroom or was it on a desk? I was on a desk. I worked for Matt Solo, who's a lit agent, and who I love more than I can tell you. Yes, I adore him. I got so lucky because we that those were the days of like truly, you know, swimming with sharks. It was crazy, crazy. The stories are, you know, endless. And Matt, luckily, was like, he's a great guy, amazing taste. Um, it was, and I'm still friends with him now. He's he's awesome. Thank God you worked in TV lit, though. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah. And not TV talent. Oh, if I worked in T- if my first show was TV talent, I may have left the. I may have said like, I can't do this. I did. It's crazy. I did. I, I first... took a little beat for a hot second in TV talent. Yeah, you're like forget. Um, but uh, yeah, the stories were uh, on another level. What was the worst assignment? or ask that was made of you oh my within, god within an assistant duty it was just it wasn't even like it was just the level of like personal stuff like did you have to pick up dry cleaning person not, no the personal stuff wasn't so bad okay. it was more like you know i'm gonna go look at a piece of real estate i'm gonna be gone for 10 hours do not leave your chair like, literally <laughs> so you're like i'm about to die i don't know what, you know it's that level of or you know boss comes in rounds the corner it's like let's hope today's a good day and you don't fuck up like you do every other like it's that it's like you're like a nom you're like just yeah. waiting for like you know where's charlie <laughs> like, it was that and in like things being thrown at you right. and you know at that time we had a, an actress who um 
she had about 20 different phone numbers. It literally, you could reach her at 20 different places. At that time? At that time. It was like, but a tra- two trailers, a right, home, right. a cell, cells existed. Oh, right. And it was like, get me so-and-so on the phone. And I had to know which of the 20, like, I don't know how anyone would, but you had to. Otherwise, And then a phone was like tossed at your head. So um, that's that's what that was. Did that cause you to leave ICM at that point? I yes. Yes. I, yes. And it was, uh, yeah. It, it, the screaming, crazy behavior. Yes. I was like, agency is not for me. And so, I definitely shouldn't be on this desk. And by the way, it was some probably me. Like, he and I, because the, the, no, the, the no, system you, you, before. You, like, <laughs> no, you basically had the quintessential. I've heard worse and I have heard worse. Yes. I mean, w- way worse stories. No, I think you had the quintessential agency assistant yes. experience. Yes, yes. Yeah. It is boot camp. It's boot camp. And that's the thing. I will say you do, you actually, I sort of miss those, not miss those days, but I, I relish those days or appreciate those days because you actually do learn a lot of stuff. Absolutely. A lot. And, um, you know, being treated that way at that age, um, then nothing sort of scares you going forward. It's like, oh, I've been, I've been screamed at in a way no one should be screamed at. So fine, bring it on. <laughs> no, but you learn, you learn, I think. In those early days when you kind of get your first job at an agency, you learn what you don't want to do Correct. professionally. Yes. Yeah. And if you do find a lane that you're interested in, usually that agency can provide a lane for mm-hmm. you. So if you want to move over to the sports department, yes. you can do that. If you yes. want to be in features and not TV, yeah. if you want to be on the talent side or the scripted side or the alternative side, you can move departments. And it's really easy for you to find your way. And at the same time, you're basically learning the, the code and all the key terms you need to know right. as an assistant, and you learn the protocol right. of setting meetings and rolling calls and all these things that people on the outside don't know. Like I tell college students all the time, these, these millennials, Heather. Yeah, I mean, right? These millennials, they, they, <laughs> they don't, don't want to hear it that they should start off at an agency. You know, they immediately want to go work for NBC after they graduate, right. and they don't realize that you're one of thousands of college grads that all want to go work at a major studio or a major network and you've got to slug it out in the minor leagues for a while and work your way up at an agency and you do you give one year and you can basically go wherever you want. Totally. No, it's it's really valuable. And listen, you see the entire scope of the business. In an agency, you're looking at not just networks or buyers. You're looking at, I mean, excuse me, not networks, just buyers. You're looking at buyers and sellers. So it's right. the, And very few of those jobs give you that sort of 360. You can That's either true. choose to be a network or choose to be on the sell side, and you only see sort of that purview. So um, it's, it's yeah, it's really valuable. And, and just how the business is done. Because right. um, it's one thing to develop and, you know, be creative, but to understand how to make money on that content. Content is is huge, so, and also yeah. the numbers game. Yeah, like when you're at an agency, you see just how many things do not sell. Yeah. Oh yes, you do. <laughs> oh yes, you do. And how many things should not be pitched in the first yes. place? Yes. Wait, yes. So where'd you go after ICM? Um, I went from the uh, fire into the frying pan, so to speak. I went to work for Tony Krantz at oh, Imagine wow. Television. Tony is a legendary agent. Yes. He was at CAA, kind of a uh, huge packaging agent. He packaged uh, West Wing and um, what are some others? God, he did some huge ones. OER was his big one. Was um, he there for 24? He was at Imagine for 24. So the he so as an agent, he packaged and worked with Aaron Sorkin, J.J. Abrams, yeah. some of the biggest names. And so then when he went to start Imagine Television with Brian Grazer, he was able to bring those people over right. and work. I mean, so it was the time of Felicity. J.J. Abrams was wow. was running Felicity. I mean, it's kind of an amazing. I mean, I was on the phone with those. I was interacting were with J.J. Like, Abrams. Were you, a Felicity? Felicity. were you a Felicity girl? Huge. Loved that show. It was loved. And I was even there for like the whole haircut gate when Carrie Russell cut her hair and it was like the ratings went down. And by the way, because of that, this, the WB at the time put it, 
clause in actress's contract that they cannot cut their hair because of the Felicity situation. Come on. She had long, I don't know if you remember, it was a beautiful no, I remember. look. It was and a chop, chop, yep. And it became like, nope. Can you imagine if Twitter was around then? I know. I know. It's true. Carrie Russell may not still be with us. That's true. That she, is true. She may not have survived the backlash. That is true. In the a, hair. <laughs> she turned out okay. She turned out, and she's on The Americans, yeah. and it's a great show. She's doing well. Yes. But really, they started putting that in actress contracts. Yeah, which, yeah. Which, by the way, yeah. is that not the most 1930s golden era Hollywood term to have in a woman's contract i know i know and by the way it probably doesn't exist anymore but it was such a i mean it was a, yeah. it, it you could literally see it impact the ratings it was like oh boy what just happened oh, like no, we sank our show off. yeah so because i think you you know you build this brand and i think the hair on nobody realized it. it was like part of the thing part of the character so so yes yeah, so we were doing that show and um we launched about, it, it's funny you, you asked about bellevue um peter berg did a show series called bellevue huh. set in the psychiatric ward and i was at imagine um we did the pjs sports night a fan favorite aaron sorkin sure ran that show oh, sure, so yeah course. we were like we were doing some really cool stuff but tony was a um very very tough boss and He's, the pjs pjs was an PJs, yes. Eddie, Eddie Murphy, right? Yep, yep, yep. Totally. Yeah, we were in business with wow. some. I mean, it was such a cool opportunity. I mean, the job itself was grinding. It was very, you know, sort of early days. Tony was a, a very ambitious guy, incredibly smart, forward thinking. Um, uh, it was hard, but looking back, I was like, wow, that was a huge opportunity. Did you get promoted there beyond assistanthood, or where did you get your first non assistant job? When did you. I was a coordinator there, and then the end of that run. And listen, the truth is, working for Tony, it's like it's like working as an investment banker. Like you can't do it that long. It is it is it will, it, the burnout rate is pretty pretty high, and he will acknowledge, I'm sure. Um, so around toward the end, I was you know I'd had my run there. It was great. Um, the internet was booming. The it was uh, pop.com was this content business that Imagine had invested in, and obviously tons of money was flowing that direction. And so I went and took a job as a manager of development at this company called Icebox. Okay. Which oh, I was, remember Icebox. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Icebox yeah, was one of the yeah. real, like, it was real deal. launching pads of digital content. Yeah. It was super. It, so this guy, Sky Dayton, who started Earthlink, which nobody has anymore, but he was, it was, it literally, I was living, by the way, I was living Silicon Valley, a show I watched. Like, dude, it hasn't changed that much because it was us in a building. He was incubating probably 20 companies. I don't know. Icebox, e-cards, e-holidays, whatever it was. <laughs> everything e. Um, e-parties. Um, and, um, we were in business with so the CEO Steve Stanford hired me, who awesome, amazing, amazing, amazing guy. Um, and um, then we had uh, Howard Gordon, who actually sure. ran, he 24. was he was one of the sort of founders um, yeah. of it. Uh, John Collier, a couple other writers from The Simpsons. So you can imagine, I mean, the talent level at this place is amazing. I remember at the time it was it was like this fraternity of television bigwigs yes. that have come together yes. to form this like next you know next phase 2.0 of entertainment yes. digital content thing and at the time it was really far ahead of its time because yeah. it, it kind of crashed and burned in the end right yes, yes but yes. they were way ahead of everybody yeah yeah i mean it's 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 interesting because the the issue that they had now is it's i think companies still face which is how do you monetize original content online um you even see it with youtube I mean, they have a ton of viewers but how do you actually monetize it right. and um so while we were doing really cool stuff i mean again the biggest animator creators were making really cool shows um some very offensive we had one called mr wong and i'm not joking we were getting death threats from the chinese no joke um we thought we were gonna be 
blown up. It was very funny, um, but offensive. Um, but anyway, we were doing really funny stuff, and it, yeah, hard to monetize it. And I think at that time, what was happening was um, people were just dumping money into these companies into the internet because the internet was ooh, look, it's like you know um, that's where the new wave of business is. They just wanted to scale up and hopefully eventually sell. That was kind of the goal. Right. So tons of cash was just dumped into a ton of companies. So you had Silicon Valley money. Yes. Needs. Hollywood storytellers. Yes, yes. And was anybody really, like, running the show? Like, was anybody really watching how money was spent? And, yes. Or was it just, like, the 1980s in Wall Street, and it was just, like... Some companies were... A, a, yacht, company, a yacht party every weekend. A, a company called Den was that. It was, like, stripper, yacht, like, like notorious, like, notorious stories. Or it literally was. Literally. I was just throwing that out there. No. I, I was just using a Wolf of Wall Street No, Den, there's a company called Den. There's story. I was not there, but there are stories that are just... It, it was Wolf of Wall Street shit over there. Um... At Icebox, we actually had really great leadership. Did you go from there to MTV? I went from there to Carsey Werner. I worked for some amazing people. Tony Krant. Yeah, so I worked for Carsey Werner. So um, they were What was on the air at the time, yeah. Oh, God, what did they have? Was Roseanne still on? I think Roseanne was in its – I think it was about to end. Mm -hmm. I think it was about to end. They had already won won the lotto by then? Oh, oh, but like many times Remember those years? Oh, it was printing money, printing money. No, I mean like actually in the Roseanne show. Oh, Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, when they won the lotto. Yeah, literally. That's like – that was for me the jumping the shark moment for Roseanne when they actually were now rich people. Yes. Right? Oh, yes. And like Dan died or something? He had a heart attack. It was like this weird, sad demise of this family. the was. money, but then it was like dad dies. Yeah, it, was it was a bad. really tragic story. It was a Take tragic the lifetime story. of yes, that series. Yes, yes, yes. So Roseanne's in its final days. Yeah. That 70s show was still going strong. Cranking for Carsey Warner. Cranking. Um, a show called Grounded for Life was on. Oh, sure. And 30 Rock from the Third Rock, Third Rock from the Sun oh, wow. was still happening. So, yeah, they were. They were in a good spot. That's, it was, listen, those guys are some of the, if not the most, some of the most, ex, like, you know, successful TV. Well, them and Norman Lear. I mean, they, Amazing. Kirstie Warner, Kirstie Warner, they also did uh, The Cosby Show, right? They did. They did, yes. And then they did the spinoff. They did. A Different World. Different World, Cosby Show, Sybil. Um, Sybil. Roseanne, another big one. Um, and then the, the 70s Show. There's something show, else we're the forgetting. Rock, the there's, another, the there's another big sitcom in there I think we're I forgetting think somewhere. I think Third Rock and 70 Show are pretty big. Those weren't for oh, a no, long those are years. Huge. Yeah, I think oh, yeah. those are the two big. It's like Different World Cosby Show. And Ros- Roseanne and Cosby were like the two biggies, two really biggies. And then there was a couple things here and there, but those were the big ones. So you really came up in a scripted world. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Because at the time, when I was, you know, in those early years, non-scripted didn't exist. Right. MTV, and we'll get to the MTV. MTV was the only place doing alternative. It wasn't even reality. There wasn't really a name for no, it. No, it was like MTV Sports and... Real their, World was on. Real World and yeah. the video, you know, countdown shows. And God, I have, I mean, as a viewer, I grew up just loving MTV yes. so much. And and then when my parents divorced, my mom, who's, uh, you know, pretty conservative. You know, notice my voice goes yeah. up a few octaves when I talk <laughs> about my mother. She now, when my parents got divorced, I live with my mom. She called the cable company and had them specifically take MTV off our planet. Wow. No other channel, just MTV. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's a bummer. It was a bummer. It was such a bummer. It's so huge. Because I was a young so boy. I was really enjoying that TLC creep video. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a moment where the fan oh, machines yeah. off camera sure. uh, kind of blow up T-Boz's <laughs> big oversized pajamas. And- <laughs> 
13-year-old Jimmy uh, was a new man after that. Jimmy became a man after became that. Became a man after, after that. After seeing T-Boss oh, yes. in that creep oh, yes. video. No more creep video. No uh, more creep video. No more MTV, but I loved growing up on Real World, yeah. on MTV Sports with Dan Cortez, the rock and jock games. Yeah. I mean, that was a really great era of MTV when you came in. How, how long had Real World been on the air when you got there? A long, oh, forever. The Real yeah. World I, Real World premiered when I was in high school, and that, first, okay, that so truly don't... was like, I want to work at that network. That's truly the goal for me, sort of goal not in the back of my head. That, like was, that, it. that was it. MTV was it. I'm yeah. a huge music fan. I, obviously, the music videos, but real world and sort of how different it was and you – You'd never seen anything like it. Yes. It was, you know, again, broadcast television was it. It was and scripted broadcast. And then you see this thing, real people, soap opera, what? I was glued. So and, and at that, that point, was the it was, goal. It was so early in its days, the real world, yeah. that the viewing audience hadn't learned yet how to make themselves caricatures to get cast on yes. the real world. So yes. now, like, when people audition, it feels like, okay, I'm going to check this box yes. because I know they're looking for, like, the crazy girl with an yeah. eating disorder. Or, like, I know they're looking for you know, the really funny gay guy. Yeah. So I'm going to go in an audition and knock it out because I know exactly the slots they're casting for. Everybody, everybody in those first eight seasons was really genuine. Like, I remember watching the San Francisco season yeah. with Pedro. Oh, yeah. And it was unbelievable. And the season before that, the Venice season, yeah. when they lived here in L.A., oh, yeah. <laughs> and you had the dude, the comedian, get kicked out of the house yeah. for what he had done to Tammy. I mean, those first three seasons were maybe the best three seasons in a row of any unscripted show in the history of television. Oh, for sure. It was, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing what they did. I mean, when you really think about how revolutionary it was and the brilliance of it coming from the mind of a former, you know, soap opera producer. Right. It's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, and that's, I think that show was the purest social experiment ever for the reasons you just mentioned. People going on had absolutely no idea what to expect, one. And then two, they shot those shows for so long. They don't have the luxury anymore. The show's done differently now. Mm. But for so long that you just got the real them. You got yeah. real character arcs and who they, because they, I mean, at a certain point you forget the cameras are there. So I really wonder though, because <clears throat> I feel like any show, whether it's scripted yeah. or reality, the longer it goes, the more heightened mm-hmm. and the bigger it just has to become tonally. Yeah. And I really wonder if you had a millennial audience watch season one of the mm-hmm. real world now, mm. would they even respond to it? Because it was, and I haven't seen it in forever, but I'm sure it was much slower. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the editing was. was much slower. I'm sure the use of talking heads and bites wasn't as it is now. Mm-hmm. And I really wonder if it would pass the smell test with a younger audience now, just given the nature of how it, it seems like, a reality factory and a reality process started churning out these yeah. shows where they all started to look like each other and you know, speed it up and get to the stakes, get to the stakes and put the bite here. Mm-hmm. And everything kind of started following the same pattern and it started to get homogenized, you know, as time went on with all these like living in a house shows. And now we have the current product. But I wonder if the audience now watched the original, would it even feel like the same show? And would they love it because it would feel a little bit more lo-fi yeah. or would they reject it because it wouldn't move as fast? Yeah. I don't know. I, Especially, I, I don't know. I, I think you're right. I think they've 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 come to expect a certain level of drama and big giant moments and swings. Also, scripted has become so much edgier, sure. so much more raw, so much bigger, outlandish that their world of entertainment is so much faster paced, bigger, shocking. Right. Um, I don't know if it would feel too soft. The only maybe is what you just said, which is if you if the cell is everything you're watching is super manufactured. We all know that everything in non-scripted. So we're going to actually show you something that's completely not manufactured, and right. it's fresh in that way. I, maybe, but I don't even know if they have the attention span to stick around with it. 
with, I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. It's a good question. I mean, again, for us, when we watch it, it's like, this was nothing like it. You're just shocked by oh, what yeah. you're seeing. Real and, people on TV? What? And now everything is a version of the real world. Yeah. I mean, Party Down yeah. South. Yeah. You know, uh, Jersey Shore. Jersey Shore. Heightened. Yeah. All living in a house show. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you spent how many years at MTV? Almost seven. And what were the yeah. shows? Seven years yeah. were there? Yeah, I was, only there, I was there a long time, yeah. What what were the what were the shows that you spearheaded? Um, uh, Robin Big was one of the b- oh longest running ones, which was That's that was a really fun show. One of my favorite shows. Of yes, all time. it was actually one of the first pitches, which was so weird. But he he's amazing. By the way, the guy is incredibly talented. Big, so talented. Big is that talented? Big is talented too. <laughs> Rob is. I know the two of them are awesome. No, Deer Deck is borderline genius. He's borderline genius yeah. comedically. Um, I've met him a couple times. He is. 360 genius. 360 genius. Businessman, comedic, knows how to be good TV, but knows how to be yeah. honest. He's like entertainer. He's like entertainer. He's awesome. And by the way, yeah. a professional athlete. Yeah. Like yes. A and, pro- a athlete. and a professional. And a professional skater. Yes. yes. Like just yes. on the side. Yeah. And a branding genius. Yes. And yeah, he's yeah. become like a huge. I mean, from Robin Big then Fantasy Factory, and obviously now he's got his clip show. So he's yeah. become a big business. That was the sort of beginning of a long running business for them. And I, <laughs> I did Tina Tila Tequila, which was. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah. I, my mother was like, I can't believe you. I, you know. I'm sorry, Mom, but Thank people you, watch Heather. the show. I know, right? I know. Tila. I don't know where she is today. I'll see, like, random awful stories that she's, like, involved yeah. in whatever. So there was that. I feel Ta- like I feel like one day we're going to see the Tila Tequila Lifetime movie. Yeah, I know. I know. It's I know. Which <laughs> I will I will completely show up for. I know. I know. I, as I did for the 90210 and Saved by the Bell movies. Yeah. Oh, you did? Oh, wow. Oh, damn right. I did. Oh, nice. You didn't? No, I did not watch them. Let me tell you something. Honestly, I'm always a Saved by the Bell guy. Yeah. The 90210 movie for Lifetime, much better than the Saved by the Bell movie. Oh, really? Much better. Oh, wow. Yeah. There you go. That cast actually looked like the characters. That's key, right? Yeah. To buy into it. They have to like look like the people. Otherwise, you're yeah. like, this is not. Yeah. Okay, so Robin Big, Tila Tequila. Tila Tequila. I did a bunch of dating singled shows. Out? Disaster singled Day. out? Gone singled on? out was over by then. Okay. Um, uh, what else? Yeah, parental control. Parental control. Oh, I did a show called Disaster Day, which is a hidden camera show. Sally Ann did that show for us. Okay. Um, I did a Legally Blonde show set in broad. I did a t- you, you, The thing is with MTV, you did so many shows. Was this uh, under the Tony DeSanto administration? It, I came in under Lois Curran, okay. who's awesome. She's truly, like, brilliant. And she was one of those awesome executives because she was never at the – she never sort of – she wasn't out in front of anything, taking credit for anything, but she is the one that um, that developed and created uh, the Osbournes and mm. Newlyweds. Huge. Much like Real World, those two shows transformed Huge. everything. Yes. They became the foundation for docu-soaps, really. I'm, um, I'm really trying to think of what were the big celebrity-focused docu-soaps before there weren't the Osbournes. Any. There weren't any. It was Lois's. She, Lois saw the Osbournes on like a cribs, and she thought, "Well, they're really funny. That's Let's right. just go put cameras on them." Yeah. And nobody thought to do that. Nobody thought to do a sitcom with real people or real. I mean, they were celebrities, yeah. but you know, non-actors. And so she created. And Punked was hers too. So yes. Lois was the reason wow. that sort of original programming expanded past um, uh, past uh, Real World on that network. I mean, those are three giant hits and a name that never gets mentioned. I mean, Lois never gets. Mentioned in that Mount Rushmore of, you know, reality pioneers, but I mean, you just checked off huge genre and era defining shows with punked Osborne's newlyweds Mm -hmm. and all those other formats we just talked about. Yeah. Yeah. That's an unbelievable run. Yeah. She, she was amazing. She, she had really great creative instincts. Um, she had a relationship with Brian Graydon who hired her. They were at Fox, uh, 
working in syndicate. I think she did syndication. They did like studs, I think, together. Um, <laughs> I know stu- from studs to the Osbournes. Um, but yeah, she. Those were huge, huge shows that sort of the floodgates opened when those when those came on the air and had the success that they had. So I was part of her group. Uh, with me was Drew Tappan yeah. and Lauren Dolgen, who is still there, and Mikey Ireland, who now works in features. Um, David Gross, who's an agent now. Oh, sure. Shout out to all these people. Yeah. Beth Greenwald, who's producing. Wow. Yes. What yeah. a frat house. It was a frat house and, like, the best time ever. We worked so hard because there was so much content and so many slots to fill, and it was 24-7, and it was insane. We were all crazy, but it was so much fun. When I hear people talk about MTV, whenever I talk to alumni that put their time in over there, it is interesting. It, it's almost similar to how we talked earlier about working at an agency, mm-hmm. where MTV, for whatever reason – really felt like a boot camp mm-hmm. of TV production. Yeah. When I hear people talk about the MTV days of you know, early 2000s, mid-2000s, and, and going back to the 90s, mm-hmm. uh, it really does seem like that taught everybody what they needed to then move on to their next gigs. It did. I, I think because it was it functioned like a network and a studio. So it wasn't – there weren't third-party third party production companies really. Right. It was like you as an executive were kind of producing your show. You were hiring the, the producer, hiring editors. You're kind of putting it together. And we had a lot of producers in-house that had deals. Greg Johnson, a few, Greg Johnson also worked on, on Newlyweds and, and the Osbournes did a great job. And so you would – have those people inside and you're just kind of making shows and you saw truly how it sort of, you know, how they're, how I think you saw in a way how they're made much more than you do now. If you were to network, because you're just, yeah. you're working with third party production companies. No, you're right. They do it all for no, you. No, you're right. I mean, so, that's a great point. The in-house production at MTV was really a big part of the bread and butter yeah, yeah, at the time. So yes. you guys had to be a 360 yeah. producer executive. Yeah, it was, and it was great. It was great learning. And it was also, you know, from the early, early, early days, even, you know, before me, way before me, they, you know, young executives, young managers are like, Hey, go get, you want to make, you have an idea, take a camera and go make it. And they right. did. And so they were just learning by doing, which, you know, it's no, you, it's the best education you can get. So yeah, that was, that was absolutely the vibe there. It was, it was cool. All right. So seven years, yeah. you move on to CBS distribution at yeah. that point. Yes. Was that syndication? Yes. What, yes. what were the shows there? At the time it was Oprah had just, was about to end Dr. Phil um, and the doctors were their big shows. So CBS syndication is pretty successful very much because of, oh, and Rachel Ray, excuse me, Rachel Ray. Okay. Um, complete corporate, corporate, very different environment. I went there and I, I you know, honestly did not stay there even a year. Um, I went there, I think I'd been at MTV a long time. Things had shifted and changed. And the truth is I thought, you know, I don't want to go to another network because that's, it's like, what's better, what's a cooler place than MTV at the time and what I was able to do and the number of shows I was able to, to work on. So this opportunity came up of looking at a different side of the business, syndication. And at that time, syndication was getting trickier to sell the big shows and they wanted to start thinking about What's a different, you know, A, how do we do what we do well, but in the cable space? So do you bring daytime to cable? Um, and is there a, is there a business there? Um, and then also how to kind of reinvigorate the shows that were being sold into, into syndication. So it's, for you, uh, like, were you charged with finding the next piece of talent to yes, the show around? Yes, It was next talent. How do you freshen the format? Because at the end of the day, all these formats, they, and by the way, they were just dying one right after. Every year there was a new launch with a new talent. Right. It was no, dying. And they were, you know, the thing what died that was on, like. What, what died on your watch? Um. Who, who, oh my God! Who was a launch? Oh my! I I am not. I will not take responsibility because I did not buy this show. There was a court show with Nancy Grace that <laughs> was not. A Please big tell success. me Grace was not in the title. No, it was. I, uh, she played like a judge. It was like a court show where she wasn't really a judge per se, but two people would come on and she was like mediating. Wait, was it like people's court? Sort of, but. <laughs> 
she didn't want to wear a vet robe because she's not a judge. So she wore this. Okay, imagine Nancy Grace in like a vest with like, and you're like, okay, what, what's, what's, what's what? going on? A, a black vest. A vest. Like, like a blockbuster video vest? Like, oh, it's like, yes, it was like a, it was like a tunic size. Like what? a very long black vest with a white shirt. But, what did you, but you don't she call looked, her a judge. No, she was like a mediator, if I remember. Because she wasn't, a, that was the whole thing with the vest. It's like, she's not really a judge, but she's like making a decision. Were her decisions binding? Yeah, they were. Because, you know, much like a court show, when you go on, you have to sign a thing saying whatever yeah. they say. So, so whatever this person in a vest says yes, yes. is going to dictate whether yes. I owe this person yes. money. Or, yes. Were they all financial? Financial or were they just like best friend? To they were financial. They were financial. They were like, you know, you owe back child support. It was it, she, like How not her fault, but up? whoever dressed her made her look like a linebacker. Like it was like with the vet. Shoulder pads? It was, yeah. yeah and then the hair kind of did like a square. It was this okay. bizarre. Yeah. How long did that run? <laughs> one season. It was like one season. Any uh, other celebrity one. chat shows? Um that we launched no no not that because i was there literally less than a year i did do i will say mtv background came in handy i did launch a dating show okay. um which was it was fun i did it with eliza schlesinger who's a very funny comic I love eliza schlesinger. um yeah. so we saw that with uh, with renegade who did blind date sure. so it was something for you know it came across my desk it honestly what they had never done a dating show before it was not their bread and butter it was like again big jo- right. you know multi-million big talk and blind so. date had been a huge success yeah it was and it was kind of like in my wheelhouse and they weren't really launching anything and if you don't launch anything in the fall in syndication, there's nothing going on for a long time. So I was like, well, let me keep myself busy. There's this little dating show. So we did it. We made it. And I think it went on for two seasons and off it went. But okay. it was a fun thing to work on. So you get the F out of there. Yes. And I remember when you got the USA job, because USA was the next stop. Yes. Right? Yes. I remember when you got the USA job, that was a newly created role. Yes. Right? There was yes. not an unscripted head at USA at the time. I remember going in and pitching there when I worked at Ben Silverman. Mm-hmm. We'd go in and pitch and you're pitching you know, Jeff Wachtel and whoever else is working at USA and scripted at the time, but these are not people that really come from that genre. Right. And they're hearing unscripted pitches. And it was kind of like wishy-washy at the time. It was like, yeah, we're taking pitches, but you know, don't know how serious we are. And, and then I think they maybe even got some off the ground before you came in. Right. Like, Um, like, like what was the the show with uh, Kurt Warner or was that on your watch? That was, that was, um, there was stuff before you came in though, wasn't there? Yes. That was one of them. And then tough enough, which was bought before also. Um, so they, listen, they hadn't been in non-scripted for like six or seven years. Once upon a time, years and years ago, they had, they did a little bit, but it didn't, at that time, the problem with that network was like, there's, they still didn't even really have a foothold in scripted. So I think the big focus is like, let's build brick by brick scripted shows, get USA to where it is now, a huge successful network. Um, So non-scripted went away. And then, yes. So it was kind of me coming in for the first time and like a very many, trying to do non-scripted on that channel. Right. Um, so, so, which is, which was the attraction. Again, right. I like doing shows that it's, or jobs where it's, okay, there's an extra added challenge to this. So sort of okay. a figuring out piece. So, so walk me through this. Cause I've always wondered this as an outsider. Yeah. So you have USA, mm-hmm. which at the time, what year is this that you started there? Uh, tw- uh, uh 2012, 2011, I think 2011. 2011, 2011, 2011 yeah. So, I mean, and USA at that time is the home for great dramas, mm-hmm. uh, well-respected dramas and also what they call blue sky television, yes. which was Monk and uh royal pains yeah but then you also had like burn notice and some other great dramas yeah why was it the instinct early on in the usa uh unscripted development to lean more comedic um are you talking about the chrisleys <laughs> yeah well no, obviously chrisley's huge success <laughs> um but the- I, i've always wondered because it feels like even the chrisleys huge success yeah. and i want to talk about that 
But even that show feels somewhat on an island yeah. from the rest of USA programming, which is what the audience already knows of USA. Yeah. I, if, I always felt like from the sidelines, like there's no reason USA Unscripted couldn't be doing the same things like CNN does with Bourdain yeah. or, you know, what A&E can do with more dramatic leaning formats. Mm-hmm. So why was it that it seemed more comedic and lighter from day one? Um, well, their dramas, Psych especially, Psych was, was, light, was yeah. comedic. They it, were like, light and, hours. And they were light, very light. Um, even, um, uh, not Burn Notice, but now I'm forgetting. Monk? Oh, um, no. Uh, Doctor in the Hamptons. I can't Royal believe Pains. it. Royal Pains. Hello. Yeah. It's on right now. Everyone, please watch. Um, so Royal Pains is slightly comedic, right? Yes. And the tone at that time was definitely Blue Sky. It has shifted on the scripted side now, with obviously with Mr. Robot. But So it wasn't necessarily that we were looking like let's find comedic shows but yeah. it was certainly let's find feel good lighter not dark um dark shows and character centric shows um because characters welcome was still kind of the sort of overarching was brand of USA. yes so it's you know formats around characters was kind of what we were looking for the truth is if if you asked me to write kind of a, a, a creative brief Crisleys would not have been on it, like anywhere near it uh, oh. it just that's an example of a tape came in that was so good, undeniably good, with undeniable characters. And by that time, I'd you know I'd been doing this a very long time and looked at a lot of tape and a lot of characters, and you just couldn't resist him. Yeah, you, this you is, had to make the show. This is a great case study, by the way. Adam Greener, who runs Maverick, which is just down the hall from yeah. me, all three, great guy. He developed Chrisley's, mm-hmm. and I remember hearing on the producing side that the big debate internally, like Adam's bosses, were telling him, "Dude, this this sizzle tape you've shot is way too long. Mm. Like it was like an eight or ten minute Interesting. tape." And Adam was like, no, no, I'm not going to shorten it. Yeah. I'm not going to shorten it because the longer it is and the better it is, then they'll give me a series and I won't just get a pilot, which is what I'll likely get if I cut it down to three minutes. Yes. Very smart. Yes. But a, a big risk. Yes. Because so many people, and I think a lot of people will tell you, keep your sizzle short, mm-hmm. get in and get out. Don't give them more than they need to note things mm-hmm, or, true. Poke, or poke holes in the show. Yeah. But Chrisley, Todd Chrisley was so undeniable. Yeah. And it, it sparked off a bidding war. So you guys, you guys knew early on that there were multiple networks yes. wanting that show. So what were the conversations that you had to have new into this position, yeah. somewhat new yeah. at the time, knowing this is going to be the breakout you've been looking for? Are you the one campaigning your bosses to say, look, we need to step up and make a big boy offer? Yes. Was that you? Yes, yes, yes. So what were those conversations and how was that met? Um, it was first, it was, if, you know, I got the tape and I, I just, it, I have to give major props to Adam because th- that tape was, and I use it as an example of like the perfect pitch tape. Everything about that tape, not just Todd and in the characters, but everything about that tape um, uh, is uh, is is exemplary of what the show is. From the music that they use, sort of classical music, to the way that the two people are interviewed and sitting on that, ca- every piece of that showed you what the series was. So when you looked at it, you had zero question what that show was going to look like. Right. So, I, and he is re- truly responsible for, for everything, all the success of that show. Um, but, so I got the tape. It was amazing. I walk into Jeff Wachtel's office, and I'm like, you have to watch this. I know it's going to seem crazy. Because, by the way, like, you know, Jeff's a scripted guy, and that's a scripted right. network. So every time you come in with a non-scripted show, you're a little like, I know this and, might seem crazy. And Weird. Jeff has seen a million shows yes. come and go. So yes. it probably takes a lot to get him excited. Yes, yeah. He saw it, and he's like, this guy's amazing. He, huh. I mean, he is undeniably good talent. Jeff knows good talent. Jeff knows good stories when he sees it. Um, so we were like, let's take this to a staff meeting because the big question is, does this show belong on this air? That right. is the big thing. Um, is there a place to put it? You know, where do we program it? It's a half hour. We don't have comedies. It's comedy. All these things. DocuSoap. Uh, so we brought it into um, our staff meeting, and um, we have this this really cool meeting. 
meeting where the head of every the weekly meeting or the head of every department is in the room. Sort of the, there's a culture of sort of transparency and working together at, at USA, which is great. So we hear which is every, also a producer's nightmare. Yeah, it is. Oh yes, one hundred percent. When we uh, hear, yeah. when we hear that our tape yeah. is being brought into a room yes. full of people we've never talked to oh, about yes. the show, and and sales, it's, HR, people yeah. from departments, yes. and, like might have just gotten a fight with their wife. Yes, you know, might yes. have like lost betting on the ponies this weekend, mm-hmm. and they're in a bad mood, and now they're going to watch your sizzle and weigh in like yeah. the third person in ad <laughs> sales true. is going to tell me whether or not my characters are good. Oh, it's totally. And I've, by the, I've seen rooms where a, a, a yes. something was going well and one guy yes. says a thing and you're like, oh, dead. It's over. It's, yeah. it's what is it? 13, 12 angry men. Yeah. That's really is. what yes. it is. When you're, you go in this right. closer, it's what every producer right. fears. You are right. But the tape goes tape, through. Everyone agreed. Yeah. It's, it, he's amazing. Undeniable. What do we have to do to step up? And, and luckily, you know, Jeff's one of the best, bo- I've had a lot of awesome, but bo- I, Actually, I've had amazing bosses. He's one of the best because he is a guy who will fight for what's good. He will fight for yeah. shows. And so he, he, I'm, you know, he's like, you like this? I love it. It's amazing. This is going to do great. All right, off we go. And we stepped up for for a series. And it took it took some doing, what was obviously. The first, what was the first order? How many episodes was it? I believe it was eight. I think we bought eight. Eight episodes. Yeah. And that show now, I, I would put it right up there with the three other big non-celebrity family docs we've seen because they only come along once every five years yes. a breakthrough non-celebrity family that can draw an audience you have the kardashians you have the robertsons with duck dynasty mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you have the honey boo boo folks yes and the chrisleys yeah. I and mean, those really are like the breakthrough non-celebrity families i think so the easy thought can be as a program mm-hmm. tell me if i'm wrong the easy thought can be once you find success well we got to find other funny families mm-hmm. To partner around them. And I feel like that's what every network has tried to do (laughs) with all those other examples I just gave. Yeah. And it's always hard because these people are diamonds in a rough. And it's not like you're just going to find a million other great families just because you found this one. Totally. I mean, it's it's lightning striking. Yes. Right? Yes, it is. Um, and was that kind of the instinct right away? Like, we need to find more funny families to partner with the Chrisleys? We did try. We, you know, kind of in the back of all of our heads, though, even Addicts, because we went, we had him go do some casting. And in all of our heads, we went back to the, the Chrisleys, right? So we would never have written down, like when you're going to go cast, you have to have some kind of filter. We never would have written down kind of wealthy, Southern. Right. It wouldn't have like, so then we thought, well, what are we saying? Like, what is our find, filter? It has to find you. It's an organic thing. Yeah. So we tried and we looked and again, it's, it's some decent families, but nothing, nothing, nothing that came close to the Chrisleys. And you can't put a show on that's not as good as that show. Because you just know it's not going to work. Worst, the worst mandate to get from a network. Find us another Chrisley's. Yeah, it's, just, it's impossible. Okay, yeah, that. I'm just going to scour the country right. for the, a funny family. I'm right on it. Oh, I have some in my files. Yeah. so <laughs> For free. Yeah, for, just, yeah. Just go look for that in your, in your spare time. It doesn't exist. Okay, sci-fi. Yeah. I want, I want to get to sci-fi real quick. So you oversee Unscripted for sci-fi. Yeah. You actually left USA, mm-hmm. went to sci-fi, yep. and now you're back running both. Yeah. You guys are going to do three nights at Comic-Con. Yes. As a big, huge, kind of live in yes. real time coverage event. Yes. That's a big deal, it seems. Huge. Huge. That's a huge it's, I'm, inc- I'm super, super, super excited about it. They've never done anything even close to this before, live or even an event like this. Um, so it's our first time out, and uh, it's going really well. I'm I, super psyched. I, I got to tell you, I love this current branding and era of unscripted at sci-fi because it seems an earlier administration mm-hmm. and i'm not going to name names would tell us in the room when we were pitch well it's too on the nose mm-hmm. like they wouldn't lean into the fanboy yeah. audience mm-hmm. that clearly shows up for sci-fi right. they wouldn't program to that 
it would be these smart things that our fanboy audience will love, but we don't want to be on the nose mm-hmm. that we're really programming for geeks and, and people that love you know, right, sci-fi, right. comic books, things like that. Now it seems like you guys are fully embracing that. Am I wrong? Am yes. No, that? you're right. We're leaning f- on the scripted and non-scripted side, going core sci-fi genre television. And I yes. would think because G4 is a sister channel uh-huh. – and you know that they are doing less with G4 in terms of programming, mm-hmm. it leaves the door wide open on a television landscape to be the home of alternative fanboy programming. Yes, that's it's, exactly. It's an awesome opportunity. Yeah, it is. It's really fun. It's, it's fun creatively. You're right. There's a huge opportunity for us to kind of be the center of things that are sci-fi and the center of that conversation around sci-fi. Because the truth on the scripted side is there's a lot of genre programming, AMC, Walking – I mean, Game of Thrones, a lot. A lot. Um, but if we can kind of harness that conversation and harness that sort of fandom uh, and be the center of it, that's a huge win. And it's going to start – I think it's going to start with sort of planting our flag, our big flag, big stage at the center of San Diego during Comic-Con this summer. That's kind of the – that's the goal. Have you been to Comic-Con? I have. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I, I want to move away from work for a second. Yeah. Mother of two. Yeah. One under a year old. Mm-hmm. You have two networks. Yeah. Slates under your under your purview now. Do you even have a chance to, like, watch anything? I do after they go to, which is, I, I do stay up too late because I watch everything late. I what do you and Tommy watch? Um, what do we watch now? Uh, v, well, Veep and Silicon Valley are, I'm a huge comedy fan, so um, we watch those. He, I love uh, My Real Housewives. I love anything on Bravo. Okay. He does not watch Bravo with me, so Ooh. he's a comic, so when he's on the road, I watch all my reality stuff, and then we watch Veep and Silicon Valley, and we got into um, Bloodline on Netflix. Chef's Table is one that we were watching. Oh, sure. Um, uh, Broadchurch on Netflix. Totally. Isn't it so weird? These are like pretty random. highfalutin shows. Not, but then Grey's Anatomy, which I still watch. I can't stop. Yeah, I need that show to like, end. Some pretty heavy but, stuff that yeah. we're watching there. Um, yeah, some good stuff. Lots of, it, it's so cool. There's so many cool you shows. Watch, you said Bravo, though. You watch Oh, I watch uh, like on a loop. And E. I watch a ton of E. I'm a big Kardashians. Okay. I watch Rich Kids. That's my Oh, Sunday you still night. watch Kardashians? Yes, I do. Vanderpump Rules? I never got into Van- I'm so mad. Me? No, I'm so mad. I'm so me? mad. I am. I. I know I would have loved Heather. it. I just didn't. And then it, time has passed. It I is know. the greatest. I know. Thing. I know. On television. Everyone right in my office watches it, and I feel stupid for not. Game I of know Thrones. Uh, I don't watch Game of no, Thrones. No, no, no. I'm. I'm saying. Oh. Game of Thrones. Bloodline. Yeah. House of Cards. Yeah. Trash. <laughs> Vanderpump Rules is an American masterpiece. I have heard. It is the greatest casting. I have heard. It it, it totally fills that hole in my heart since Jersey Shore left. I I, I should. You know, the problem is when you get too far, like if you have to go too far back to watch, start start getting into a show, it's like it prevents you from doing so. And I don't have the hours to like start from zero. Does that rule apply to reality? I think. Don't you have to know kind of like what's going on? It's a reality show. Like our whole job is to make sure people don't feel that way when they tune true. in. True. That's true. How can you think like that? How, how can you, who's given every true. note, to, to make true. sure that the outside audience... No, that's true. You can come in at any time. They have to be able to come in at any time. <laughs> yes. No. It, this is this is not some, like, you know, seven-year yeah. mythology like Game of Thrones. <laughs> I mean, it's a bunch of 20-somethings, now 30-somethings, fighting true. at a West Hollywood restaurant. True. It's true. And that's all you need to know. You, you know, in. I should just come in, because that's really been my barrier to entry, is I thought, like, you know, I need to go back, and I can't, and... I'm going to play a little game with you, and I had I had a Vanderpump Rules related question. Oh but no! Like totally not. Oh, no. oh, you know what? I can I can I can I can improvise. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna play a little game with you to end the uh, the uh, sit down. Okay? okay. It's a little game I like to call either or. Okay. I'm gonna throw out two options, and you just tell me which one you select. All right. No reason. Just the just the word. Just the thing. Okay. Rapid fire. Okay. No, we can we can discuss it a little bit. Okay. But I want this to be rapid fire. Okay. Okay. First one. HGTV shows. Is this not going to be in your wheelhouse? No, it totally is. Okay, cool. Yes. By the way, when I talk to couples, yeah. 
when I want to know like like younger couples, like uh-huh. people like in their like twenties. Yeah. Ask like how long you've been dating, and they'll be like, you know, three years. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, so you're at the HGTV level of your relationship now. Oh. <laughs> Because I feel like that's something you kind of mature into. It's true. It's true. Where it's like, I watch what I watch. She watches what she watches. But then once we live together, we've got to agree on things we can both watch. It's true. And we both know that the wife controls the remote control. I think about three years, you kind of get to that HGTV Yeah, level. it's true. I, want, I, would, I, I could imagine because that is a, like, right? yes, yes. It's that, yes. and then a year after that, you yes. get engaged. It's HGTV and Food Network. Only because it's, totally. like, it's also just like non-controversial, Ugh. like right before I go to bed, like easy. It's not. Don't even get me started on Giada. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love Giada. Yeah. There was, there was a moment when Giada and her husband got divorced. There was a little moment. In the really? Fo- there was a little moment in the Fox household where really? I, was, I was thinking of readjusting my, you know, my uh, get out of jail free card. For Giada? Yeah. Interesting. My wife's got her. Oh, I love Giada. Yeah. I love her shows, but I, that's a funny, no, like, she, oh, do you, interesting. Do you think she's like genuine or do you think she's just like, she, you know, I, I don't. Do you think she, she's really that great or do you think she's probably like a little harder to deal with in real life? I think. Listen, I think any talent has to be a little hard to deal with because they have to maintain their brand. You have to be, you know, you have to be, because a lot of people are coming at you with notes and things and, you know, yeah. try this and do this. But and, on a cooking so, show, I mean, like, is anybody really giving you notes but on it's, like But that? I think for that, it's even more important because she's a brand at that point. So yeah. she might be a little difficult, but I do, I don't think you can totally hide who you are in those shows where yeah. you're just like, it's you to a camera. I think you start to see who people really are. So yes, I, yeah, she's Big great. Shout out to Giada. Big shout out. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Either or. Fixer upper or flipper flop? Fixer upper. F yeah. Yeah, for sure. Are you kidding? Yeah, for sure. Not even a competition. Not even. I'm glad you said yes, that. Yes, yeah. This interview was going to end yeah. now <laughs> if you would say flipper flop. Total fixer upper. Joanna and Chip? Yeah, for sure. I swear to God, the, the tourism in Waco must be up 500%. <laughs> so true. I swear to God, so Heather, I have an idea. Me and you can make some money. So true. Let's start the fixer upper tour in Waco. For sure. So we just take tours like a TMZ <laughs> van and we go to all the houses that they fixed up. You could make some money. People would buy tickets. I know they would. Did you see the bed and breakfast episode? No. They bought a bed and breakfast. Oh, they did. And it's actually a bed and breakfast now that you can go stay in. It, boffo bucks. Like it's going right? to go from like small. They're, they're going to franchise yes. those things. Oh, for sure. Oh. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Either or. Voice judges. Mm. Blake or Adam? Adam. Why? He's cooler. I don't know. Like, I like, I like the edgy tattoo. I think he, I don't know. I think he's super charming. I like the edge. Okay. I think so you would cooler. sleep with Adam, but who would you rather cat? Like, who's a better judge? Who's a better judge? I still think I like Adam. You think Adam's yeah, better Yeah, I, I like, yeah, I like okay. Adam. I enjoy him. Chloe or Kim? Chloe, for sure. That's what everyone I have her app. Me. I love her app. Like, Kim I, or- I've bought things off that app. Yeah, I'm a huge Chloe fan. Are you serious? Yes. I check her out every day. You are a grown-ass mother of two, and you are buying yes. Chloe-related emojis? By the way, I have to tell you, I bought my bath mats based on a recommendation on her app, and they're amazing to your feet. It's like slippers beneath your feet when you get out of the shower. I'm not kidding. That actually sounds pretty good. It's really amazing. No, it's a like great recommendation. Chloe's awesome. Can you share that after? Yes, the, yes. After <laughs> All right. What would be a better reboot, Temptation Island or The Swan? Oh, God. We were just talking about this. Oh my god! Were you really? I think, yeah, I literally because I do believe I actually think that like both of those should come back on air. I yes. think they would get massive ratings. I love that I'm onto something. I know you're totally. I, that is a hard one because those are literally the two that were like someone needs to make those. That's shows. the fun part about being at a network, by the way, because if there are titles out there that you just want to go grab, like <sighs> you can do that. I don't know if I could. I mean, yeah, you oh, could. God. I think it unscripted. It's not about what network. I mean, at my network, I don't know the USA is doing either of them, but I'm oh, telling yeah, no, you, sure. if I was at a couple of others, I would. Um, <laughs> that is so hard. That is so hard. I, I I kind of you got, dude. I think this is obvious. Which one? 
Temptation? No, no this, this one, one, this one, this one. You're right, this no, one. And I'm not saying right, because it's a better show, no, but isn't one. every show just derivative of Temptation Island now? Yeah, that's right. You know, it's funny. I was, uh, you just, yes. Because I, right? I was thinking through, like, you know what? Now they've all gone so, the dating shows have gone <laughs> no, so far. Like, no one has yes. dared to go near what the swan did. Well, nobody no, has no, gone. There, no, like, there was that E show where there was a competition. They made it a competition show where you got. Oh, yeah. Got, like, procedures. What was that called? I don't remember. It was a competition show where they were, oh, no, it was, it was, it was like brides that were going to get plastic surgery. Oh, And they were competing (laughs) for plastic surgery. You're like, but yeah, no, nothing compares to like women having breakdowns over like, by the way, producers on those shows, like you should do a podcast with them because the stories I've heard. Oh my God. Maybe I should look up like what the anniversary is of the swan and do like a collective of producers. The behind was crazy. I mean, because the women on the show were just like, you know, on the brink of literally having complete mental breakdowns. Oh, you mean they weren't just totally grounded in the no, apparently they not. They were just well-adjusted oh, women. Apparently but... not, no. Right. Either or, Stephen Avery, guilty or innocent? Guilty. More surprising, Trump nomination, Kardashian empire? Trump nomination. Trump nomination. You think so? Yeah. Is all that, is it that surprising? Well, if you would have asked me Compared that. Compared to the, the Kardashians being as important to our pop culture as they are? I think the problem is I've seen the Kardashians grow. I've seen how they've... I think the Kardashians exist and have had the success because of social media. Yeah. If social media hasn't grown kind of with them, then I don't think this it would have happened. But they have utilized it perfectly and brilliantly. And, and, and again, I've seen kind of the smart kind of trajectory of, of that brand. Okay, last question. Yeah. More intimidating. Bonnie Hammer or Vince McMahon? Vince in the middle of a WWE ring. Bonnie in a, an executive conference room. That's Ooh. how I'll answer that. Okay. <laughs> By the way, you are so lucky I didn't just nerd out and just talk WWE <laughs> for a half hour. I could have gone there with you for about a half hour just talking wrestling. It's wrestling's, by the way, huge, huge, successful business, man. It's, it's, it's actually astonishing. Like It's the longest running primetime show is that true? In American television? Is I mean, it's true? like, it's, it's, it's possible. Crazy. It's possible. And, and the thing is, you look at the audiences and it's still little young. There's like a new crop of fans every year. It's, it's a pretty amazing um, franchise. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Thank you.